morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you all today. So our world seems to be falling apart. That's what it feels like. And in the midst of all of the chaos and craziness that we are experiencing right now, I wanted us to think about stories about how the world is put together. You know, last month we had Earth Day, but every day is Earth Day because it is our home and because we are in a position to help or harm. So today we're going to be hearing a lot of stories. What a wonderful story from Robbie this morning. We're going to hear more stories of creation. I hope you enjoy. In the beginning, we hear that phrase, and for many of us, images of Bible stories about the beginnings of the world spring to mind. The phrase is used both at the beginning of Genesis with the creation of the heavens and the earth, and at the beginning of the book of John, where we're told that these creations come into being through the auspices of the cosmic Christ, known as the Logos, the Word. Both work to situate humanity in relation to all that is, nature, cosmos, the divine. And that's the purpose of creation stories, to let humans know who they are, what their purpose is, and how they are to be and act. So today we're going to look at creation stories from around the world. I'll tell each story, and then we'll think through some point about what it means to be human that the story highlights. As we listen to these stories, I invite you to think about how you situate yourself in relation to nature, the cosmos, and the divine and what it says for your being and purpose as a human. We'll begin with a story from the Yoruba of Nigeria. The chief god Olorun rules the sky, and the great goddess Olokun rules what is below the sky, and they're content with how things are. But another god, Obatala, looks around and thinks that there should be more. He visits wise Orunmila to ask how to create a world. And following Orunmila's advice, he gathers what he needs, a thin gold chain and a bag that holds a snail shell filled with sand, a white hen, a black cat, and a palm nut. I bet you didn't know that all that together could create a world. Obatala hangs the chain from a corner of the sky, throws the bag over his shoulder, and lowers himself on the chain all the way to the ground. He takes the snail shell and dumps out the sand and places the white hen upon it. The hen scratches at the sand, and as it scatters, that sand becomes land masses, hills, and valleys. Obatala digs a hole and buries the palm nut, and immediately a palm tree grows from it. It drops nuts, and as soon as they touch the ground, they too grow, and soon there are groves of palm trees everywhere. Obatala sits down to enjoy the creation with his cat. He makes some wine from the palm trees, 
and continues creating. And in his drunkenness, he calls on Olorun to breathe life into his creations. When he awakens from his drunken stupor, Obatala realizes that he has created and caused to be brought to life beings that will know pain and hatred and sorrow and fear and death. So he vows to create no more and to be the protector of these creatures forever. So the story of Obatala speaks to us of creativity, how all good creation begins as intuition. Obatala is driven by a fire within, a sense that there should be more than just the sky and what is below the sky. He knows what is, but he feels the call of what is possible. So he takes just a handful of items, sand, a white hen, a black cat, and a palm nut, and builds a whole world with them. In his creativity, he does not have to transform or conquer anything. He uses things just as they are, allowing each thing to be just what it is. The chicken scratches, the nut grows into a tree. The wise use of resources recognizes the inherent value of each part, as well as of the creation overall. Obatala's creativity runs in many directions, including into his creation of palm wine and the drunkenness that follows. He shows us the danger of not being mindful of what is brought forth, of the harms that can be inflicted on creation when we build or grow or create without reverence for what is. Obatala also gives us a way forward from this harm. He acknowledges his role in causing the problem and works to put it right. As we think about our planet in crisis, let us remember the creativity and intuition of Obatala, his recognition of the value of each thing, his role in creating wrongly, and his dedication to setting things right. Now let us hear from the Inca of Peru. In all that exists, there is only stillness until Viracocha arises from Lake Titicaca and he brings light into creation. He creates the sun and the moon and the stars and darkness now mingles with the light so that both can show their beauty. This creation needs beings to enjoy it, Viracocha says to himself. And he breathes life into the great craggy stones around him. But the stone people are stony and emotionless, and they cannot enjoy the creation. So Viracocha destroys them and starts over. He takes smaller, smoother stones, and he breathes life and dreams and desire into these new beings. And when they open their eyes, they look with love at all they see. When he sees that his work is done, 
Viracocha walks into the ocean and out of the sight of humans. So Viracocha makes a beautiful world, a world built for enjoyment. The first beings Viracocha made had a spark of life, but could not recognize the reasons for being alive, love and joy and appreciation. The second smoother beings, the humans, they came forth with the passion and joy to fill themselves full with the beauty of the world around them. In Viracocha's story, we come to understand that just seeing the hills and the stars and the oceans is not enough. Wonder is necessary. Creation was only complete when beings within it were able to marvel at it. Amazement, awe. If these are not a part of the ways that we interact with the world around us, we find ourselves stony and emotionless like the first beings created by Viracocha. And we have reason to question our place within all that exists. The world and all that is within it should call forth delight. And now a story from ancient Egypt. Darkness and waters and swirling chaos. On the waters floats the great god Atum, alone. Atum begins to sense something he has never felt before, the need to create. So he causes a hill to emerge from the water, a light, the sun, to rise from behind the hill. And he steps to the top of the hill and he shines in the brightness of the sun. He creates his children, Shu, god of air, and Tefnut, god, goddess of the waters. And he watches with satisfaction as they begin creating lands and oceans and bringing forth all of creation. They are so busy whirling around creating that they don't have time for their father, Atum. And he is sad without them. So he sends his eyes out searching for them. Shu finds one of the eyes and Tepnut finds the other of the eyes and they bring them back to their father. And when they come back, when they return, when the three are together again, Atum weeps for joy. As his tears of joy touch the ground, they join with the earth to form human beings. Atum tells us of the need for relationship. He creates and brings light and beauty, but it is family that gives him the greatest joy. Atum derives great satisfaction from watching his children, Shu and Tefnut, do what they are called to do, create in the ways that only they are able to create. But when they're gone too long, when the relationship is strained, he mourns. He seeks out his family, those he loves, and his tears at their reunion mix with the earth to create human beings. This tells us that humans are created from joy and connection.
that we are built for it. A tomb shows us that our strength and power and creativity mean nothing without relationship. We, too, have a relationship with Shu and Tefnut, with the wind and the water and all that exists and each other. When we stray from relationship with nature, we are in peril. But when we joy in it, we bring forth greatness. And now let us hear a story from China. A great cloud of chaos, all in the shape of an egg. For 18,000 years, Pengu sleeps in the egg of chaos. And when he awakens, the chaos frightens him. He jumps and he pushes until he breaks the egg in two. Wanting to stop the chaos, he pushes one of the shell pieces up and it becomes the sky. That's the yang. And the other path he pushes down and it becomes the earth, the yin. Worried that chaos might erupt again, Pengu holds the earth and sky separate for 18,000 more years until eventually he dies. As Pengu's great body falls to the earth and becomes part of it, his arms and legs become mountains. His breath becomes the wind and his blood becomes the rivers, his sweat the rain. His voice becomes the thunder. His eyes move into the sky and become the sun and the moon. From Pengu, we learn about balance. Faced with chaos, Pengu brings an order that allows all to flourish. Where there was only tumultuousness, the sky of Yang and the earth of Yin now harmonize perfectly. Each can now spread and grow in concert with the other, each needing the other to complement what they have to offer. Pengu gives his life and his body to hold this balance so that each may have what they need to thrive. We too must be in balance with all that is, recognizing the meaning and inherent value of each part and then doing our part to hold the balance. And finally, from Kabbalah in Judaism, the Jewish mystical tradition. Light is all there is. Light, which we often call God. No space, no time, no matter, only light. When the light decides to create, it draws in its breath and darkness comes into being. Darkness is the first creation. Then light creates a vessel and sends it out into the darkness, creating a universe. But nothing can be perfect enough to hold the light itself. So the vessel shatters, scattering holy sparks of light across the darkness. 
The light then gathers up these shattered and damaged pieces into a new universe. But it too shatters. And once again, the light gathers the pieces. Over and over, the light creates vessels, universes, and over and over again, they shatter. Finally, after the creation and shattering of 10 different universes, the light is able to make a creation where the holiness of the light has been tamed enough that it does not burn up all that is within it and cause the shattering. This is our universe. Holiness. In the tale of the light, we see the holiness of all creation and the wildness at the heart of it. Vessels, universes, cannot contain the sheer holiness and perfection of the light unless the light dims enough for being to come into existence. We learn that while the light may be hidden, it is always in everything at all time. In fact, creation is nothing but light, even if we're not always able to recognize it. All that is, is part of the holiness. When we don't recognize the holiness of the world around us, from the smallest insect to the greatest ocean, we live in blindness to what truly is. So let's think back over what we've learned. Creativity, enjoyment, relationship, balance, holiness. These are key to our relationship with the earth, with all that exists, and with each other. These stories of beginnings for many lands help us to understand what we need to do as we face an earth in crisis. From Obatala and the Yoruba in Nigeria, we learn that we need creativity to come up with new ways of being in the world. The courage to recognize the problems we have created and the commitment to doing what is best for all. From Viracocha and the Inca in Peru, we see that we must never lose our wonder and amazement at this beautiful world. And that if we become stony and emotionless with face, when faced with beauty, we might lose it. From Aksum and Egypt, we learn the value of relationship. That when we move outside of our relationship with the earth and each other, we are the cause of sorrow. And that joy is found in recognizing, renewing, and strengthening our connection. From Pengu in China, we learn of the need for balance, for holding each thing in a way that respects all other things, and that without balance, chaos will ensue. And from the Jewish Kabbalah, we discover the inherent holiness of all that is, how every single thing is part of a whole even greater than we can imagine. We learn that recognizing this holiness, this wholeness, this oneness is our task. 
and that we must reimagine ourselves not just in the midst of this holiness and oneness, but as part of it. And so our beginnings give us a way forward within this indisputable, irrefutable, interdependent web of existence of which we are so gratefully a part. Amen and namaste.